Travel restrictions. This does not mean that individual responsibility in the era of COVID is gone. Why it's easier to move around, but there's still one rule you have to follow. Dueling disasters. Fires can cause floods. That doesn't really immediately sort of click in one's brain. Satellite images provide evidence BC fires and floods are linked. And a slip from the lips during question period. Do you want a headline or do you want action? Uh. What got Premier Horgan so frustrated? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Good news for families who want to travel during the COVID-19 pandemic. More COVID travel restrictions have now been lifted. Richard Zussman has what you need to know on your next cross-border trip and why it comes with a warning from health officials. One more reason to travel. That pre-flight test has been expensive and it's also been a hassle. On Monday, the federal government dropping a series of COVID-19 restrictions when it comes to entering Canada. Unvaccinated children under the age of 12 no longer require to produce a negative COVID-19 test before entering the country. But they must continue to wear a mask if unvaccinated for 14 days upon coming back here. With this round of restrictions being eased, that's really where I notice a lot more families excited to, to start to travel. The rule changes also mean vaccinated travelers of all ages entering Canada do not have to plan for a 14-day quarantine. There is no longer a requirement to wear a mask for 14 days in public places and no requirement to track close contacts. So I think that any easing with COVID still around will eventually lead to an increase in uh, transmission. The changes could lead to more BC families heading south of the border, at least by land. Considering more than 40% of kids 5 to 11 in BC are unvaccinated and children 4 and under still can't get the shot. But there is still a requirement to produce a negative COVID-19 test before flying into the United States, no matter your age, although masks are no longer required on planes in U.S. airspace. And there is no more appropriate place in COVID world that I can think of to wear a mask than on an airplane. BC Health Minister Adrian Dick says even though restrictions are being eased, albeit federal ones, the pandemic is still very much with British Columbians. And the guidance is to wear a mask when in public places, even though you aren't required to. Our strong public health guidance around staying home when you're sick, about washing your hands, all of the other things we ask people to do, we're going to continue to do. There was still one major federal travel restriction in place. Unvaccinated adults from outside the country are still largely restricted from entering Canada. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Prime Minister has called for a public inquiry into the use of the Emergencies Act during the convoy protests last February. An Ontario judge will have just under 10 months to look into the Liberal government's use of exceptional powers to bring an end to the anti-COVID mandate demonstrations, which paralyzed downtown Ottawa for weeks and shut down multiple Canada-U.S. border crossings. Justice Paul Rouleau says he is committed to ensuring the process is as open and transparent as possible. We have provided under the Inquiries Act with the Commissioner with all the authorities that he requires to compel witnesses and to compel the delivery of documents to enable him to do this work. And he will have access to the documents he requires, even, even classified documents, subject to appropriate limits on, on privilege that may exist. At the same time, the government will require the Commission to prevent the release of any documents that could be considered damaging to Canada's international relations, national security or defence. Throughout the pandemic, health officials have been clear. People who don't get a vaccine are at far greater risk of severe complications from the disease. And now a new research suggests unvaccinated people are also putting others at risk increasing the odds a vaccinated person might be infected. Aaron MacArthur has the results. It didn't last long, but it turns out the vaccine passport may have been one of the most effective tools to prevent the spread of COVID-19. By excluding non-vaccinated people from indoor spaces, the risk to everyone likely went down. 
New research published Monday in the Canadian Medical Association Journal says the unvaccinated have an outsized impact on how quickly the virus spreads. The paper published by researchers in Ontario looks at the theoretical effect of mixing vaccinated and unvaccinated people. As the two groups intermingle more, the risk to the vaccinated goes up and the risk to the unvaccinated goes down. The vaccinated act as a buffer to the spread of the disease. Despite this strong evidence, according to BC's health minister, there are no plans to bring back the vaccine card that was dropped earlier in April. Of course these public health decisions are always challenging, right? When we kept the vaccine card longer than anyone else, we did receive questions as to why are you keeping it longer than anyone else. Since the measures were dropped, the public has been left with the task of managing their own risk during the pandemic. While governments across the country roll back societal protections, infectious disease doctors say the basics still apply. There are no provincial mandates. This does not mean that individual responsibility in the era of COVID is gone. This is, this is what is going to make us survive the spring, survive the summer, is if we all realize that COVID is not gone and there's still work to do. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Another sign things are slowly getting back to normal and a boon for BC's beleaguered hotel industry. The first major convention in more than two years is now underway at the Vancouver Convention Centre. Grace Key has more on who's in town and how there are still some different COVID procedures in place. Today we are featuring our master of mixes, Margarita Mix. Grocery and Specialty Food West is back and it's bigger than ever. Due to overwhelming demand, they've taken over three halls at the Vancouver Convention Center, expanding to more than 90,000 square feet. Participants are happy to be back. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Uh, face-to-face uh, interaction has been incredible. Uh, you can throw teams uh, out, the, out the door, if you don't mind for me. <laughs> it's so nice to be back in this space and have a chance to mingle and meet all these people. I've met a lot of people I only know from here up. Um, And it's like, oh, you're taller than I am. According to the BC Hotel Association, there has been a recent increase in convention bookings up to 2025. The international market is still lagging and it's critical for a rebound. They stay longer and often return as leisure travelers. So far this year, conventions are mostly made up of the Canadian market. The first sign of recovery is that people are booking the meetings and that's a really good sign. Now we need to see that those numbers are actually materializing, and then we can actually look at the impact of that. You may remember the Pacific Dental Conference back in March of 2020 that became the source of a COVID-19 spread and drew criticism from the provincial health officer. This one is a freezer, so you can have your low-temp product in one side. Conventions might look a little different now. At this convention, some samples were in individual containers. There were even color-coded stickers letting people know your level of greeting comfort. It's amazing. I mean, this is one place where we can go, where we can see a lot of our independent grocers in one spot so when we are able to you know stand here and say hi to people and see them in person you know instead of over the computer or the phone it's wonderful. If this event is any indication turnouts could be promising for future conventions. Grace Key Global News. A fiery debate with a capital F you might say in the legislature today as the premier and the opposition faced off over health care. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. Keith, the family doctor shortage and long clinic wait times frustrating many, and that led to a feisty and colorful exchange in the House today. Yes, frustrating, obviously, a frustrated John Horgan today. The Liberals on the attack, as you mentioned, long waits at clinics, a story we did last week, a shortage of family doctors. Near the end of question period, it got quite heated, ending with an exasperated John Horgan sitting down after dropping an F-bomb. Do you want to hear it, man? Do you want to hear it or do you just want to hear your voice? Why don't you go in the bathroom and talk to yourself in there? Because you don't want to hear answers in this place. Seriously. The Canada Health Transfer is fundamental to health care in British Columbia. It's fundamental. And it has been for generations. Do you care? Do you really care? Or do you want to hear yourself? Do you want a headline or do you want action? Uh, the bell ends the question period. Thank you. 
members, seriously? So you heard an exasperated speaker there, Raj Shohan. Coincidentally, that book right there just arrived today, illustrated by his daughter, Anu. Uh, he had to call a recess there because things got so heated. But the premier didn't end there. The premier went back to his office and composed this tweet with a sort of a, a humorous twist to it. He said, if my uh, mother was still around, uh, she'd head to the legislature with a bar of Irish spring soap. And there he says, replaces that word he did say with the word uh, darn. So again, it didn't end there because, again, he realized it wasn't just a joking matter. Uh, this is a serious uh, matter in the legislature. It's deemed to be unparliamentary language. The liberals had already served notice, reserved their right to raise a point of personal privilege, which would have been heard tomorrow had this not occurred, which is the Premier coming back to apologize. My passion for health care got the better of me, and I made some intemperate comments that may well have offended members of this House or others. Uh, I apologize for that, and I withdraw those remarks unreservedly. So what's also unusual about this is the fact that uh, as Premier, John Horgan has kept uh, in check what he calls his famous Irish temper. That obviously didn't happen today. I don't think we'll see a repeat of this uh, in the following days this week. Sure uh, exciting today, at least, <laughs> to watch that unfold. Keith, thanks very much. Well, the controversy over cameras watching our every move. Vancouver considers adding more of them to cut down on random crime. But not everyone thinks that's a good idea. That's next on the News Hour. Offer accepted. How the world is reacting to Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter. And his ship is in. How a BC artist reacted seeing his creation on a new BC ferry. That's later. Right now, though, a Vancouver City Councilor is proposing to greatly expand the use of closed-circuit TV cameras in the city in the name of public safety. Police often ask private citizens and companies for video evidence of crimes, but there's no general system of CCTV cameras that police can access. In her motion, Councillor Melissa DiGenova points to cities around the world that use CCTV to fight crime, even using facial recognition to track people in real time. The city does have a few permanent CCTV cameras, but they're either not working or only turned on for special events. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association is questioning the need. Well, the reality is that adding more cameras does not stop crime. It's a myth that the presence of cameras deters crime. And there's a ton of data out there from countries like the UK, where they've been using this uh, method for decades, that shows that any deterrence effect is very short-lived and very minimal. DiGenova's motion is set for debate at Tuesday's council meeting. Business leaders in Vancouver's Chinatown want a city-owned mall brought back to life as a food hub for the neighborhood. The city says it is a top priority to ensure publicly owned assets benefit all Vancouver residents. But as Kristen Robinson reports, some feel what was once a cornerstone in the community is now being neglected. It's a multi-million dollar view that's been overlooked for years. In the heart of Chinatown, this city-owned property with a seven-story parkade and three-story mall sits virtually empty. Right now we have 18 shops within uh, the plaza and we only have five of them actually occupied. More than half of the 26 retail and office units at Chinatown Plaza for lease. Built for Expo 86 and before Asian mega malls started luring shoppers, Jordan Eng says this space has been dying than a decade. Nothing has happened here. The store behind me has been vacant for over 10 years, and there's no reason that it should be. The BIA wonders what's driving the city to do so little, with land and buildings assessed at more than $14.7 million. Their mandate is to, to maximize the value of the real estate and income for, for all of us in Vancouver. Uh, I can't see that that's happening right now. I think it's a tremendous waste of prime publicly owned real estate through which I think it could be redirected to publicly beneficial real estate. Eng's vision would see Chinatown Plaza transformed into a culinary center with food stalls, a market and Asian cooking school on the parkade's top level. It's a, a way of reimagining what we can do in such a great place. Examples include Swan's Market in Oakland or San Francisco's La Cochina Marketplace. Urban expert Andy Yan says both food hubs were created in concert with the community. It always attracts people. We gave the city three days to provide an on-camera interview, but were only sent a statement citing COVID's impact. Prior to the pandemic, Chinatown Plaza's vacancy rate was 6%. 
Currently, the city says 28% of the total leasable area is vacant, with the majority of vacancies occurring in the past two years. We need to do better, for sure. So it's not just about a monetary transaction of real estate, but really, how can we make highest and best use and look at it from a social perspective as well? These storefronts have remained empty not only for months, but for years. We need to open up and understand really what is going on in terms of how the city manages and leases its own properties. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, visualizing disaster before it happens. Maybe uh, we have some infrastructure problems that we need to deal with in the next, um, next few years. How satellite imagery can help us understand the relationship between catastrophic fires and floods. And Russia's brutal new tactic to cut off transportation corridors in Ukraine. Busy here in Delta and traffic is blocked on 104th Avenue just north of Ladner Trunk Road where a car hit a tandem dump truck. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trishy Wissin in Global One, high above a crash in Delta. A BC geomapping company is using satellite imagery and data from NASA to explore the connection between last year's heat dome, wildfires, atmospheric rivers and floods. John Hua tells us what they've found and how it might help us plan for the future. First wildfire ripped through communities, reducing whatever residents held dear to ash. Then, just as the dust began to settle, the floodwaters came rushing in, destroying nearly everything in its path. Fires can cause floods. That doesn't really immediately sort of click in one's brain. But, but here's a chain of events that allows that to happen. Now a BC geomapping company is connecting the dots between two natural disasters that devastated this province last year. The hypothesis, the harder wildfires burn the higher chance of severe flooding later on. Like the atmospheric river that we saw um, in the fall last year, water flows where it once was absorbed. Spark Geo examined where steep terrain, wildfires and flood damage seem to intersect. Believing flames destroyed forestation that act as a natural buffer against heavy rain, burned in a water repellent layer just beneath the soil, and ultimately made the land more susceptible to debris flows. We think of wildfires as damaging the forest, but not producing a cascading effect like this. While no one is claiming to prove wildfires can cause flooding, it might explain why the latter can seem to happen with little to no warning. You get this uh, enhanced runoff. It's actually almost like flash flooding. Spark Geo says the data could one day help residents better understand the ever-changing flood risk of certain regions. For now, this is about gaining understanding amidst tremendous loss. Behind every pixel in these images um, is, is uh, you know, someone having a really hard time. They're very personal stories, personal catastrophes. Surviving just one of these disasters is hard enough. Getting a better understanding of how wildfires and floods might be connected. Perhaps redefining the meaning of preparing for the worst. John Hua, Global News. Vancouver police arrested a protester following an old-growth logging blockade on the North Shore. Officers say a 37-year-old woman was taken into custody after refusing to leave the road and blocking traffic this morning. Members of the group Save Old Growth caused a brief disruption on the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge before police moved in. Similar blockades are taking place in an effort to stop all logging of old growth trees in B.C. A major cleanup of a large homeless camp is underway in Penticton. Crews have begun hauling away piles of trash from the encampment. Despite the fact the camp is in a relatively remote area two kilometers northeast of the Penticton Marina, campers still manage to get a number of large items to the spot. Anywhere from five to ten campers who were living on the beach were given notice and support to relocate. City crews are working with volunteers from a local wellness society's ambassador program. Great program. We give back to the community. 
Um, I myself, for a while, was um, living on the streets homeless, and it's just something that I figured I need to do to give back to the community. The city's very thankful for the relationship with Ask Wellness, and we really appreciate the assistance that they provided today. Um, we couldn't have done it without them. Once the cleanup is done, police will continue to monitor the area as it has become a popular camping spot for people experiencing homelessness. And just ahead, a wake-up call for Canada's military. Gender and racial discrimination in our forces and what the defense minister promises to do about it. And Williams Lake First Nation considers a $135 million settlement from the federal government. How it would use that money. Attention. Need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. Good evening. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel and traffic is steady in both directions. Keep in mind there is some road work during the overnight hours south of the tunnel near Ladner Trunk Road. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. The federal government says it can and must do more to fight systemic racism and discrimination in the Canadian Armed Forces. The government published a 100-page report prepared by a panel of four ex-military members, each of whom are from a minority group. And the findings indicate barriers to equity in the forces run deep and wide. David Aiken reports. It is not the first time that military leaders have asked experts what to do about discrimination in the forces. Over the last 20 years, there have been 41 panels that looked at this problem, and they produce a combined 258 recommendations. Many of them were poorly implemented, shelved, or even discarded. The current defense minister insists the latest recommendations will not be ignored. We will not rest until we create a diverse, a modern, an agile defense team that is free from discriminatory practices. There are some recommendations that may be obvious. A much stronger effort, for example, to deal with white supremacists who wear the uniform. Overhaul the military police system. It's one rife with conflicts of interest. But there are lots of less obvious things the panel suggests would address the insidious systemic racism and discrimination. Change the menu, for example, at the military mess. Less of the meat and potatoes at the heart of white Western European diets more options from other cultures, Asian, Indigenous, African. Change the name of the Silver Cross mother to the Silver Cross parent, and in doing so, remove a symbolic gender stereotype. The panelist even recommends overhauling the chaplain system in the military. The panel advisors say no chaplain could be in the armed forces if that chaplain preached a religion where black people were excluded as leaders. By the same logic, they say, chaplains from religious traditions where women are excluded from church leadership should also have no place in the military trying to erase discrimination. David Aiken, Global News, Ottawa. Members of the Williams Lake First Nation will soon vote on one of the biggest land claim settlements in Canada. People were homeless and threatened by starvation. We had lost a place that was critically important to our history, our culture, in our entire existence as Sequipa people. The First Nation releasing a video to explain the $135 million settlement. It's meant to compensate members for being displaced from land the city of Williams Lake now covers, including downtown. The vote comes as the band continues its investigation into the possible 93 unmarked burials found near the former St. Joseph's Mission Residential School. All members of the Williams Lake First Nation, aged 18 and older, are eligible to vote this spring. Russia continues to attack several Ukrainian cities, even on a day when many in the country were trying to celebrate a religious holiday. At the same time, top-level Biden administration officials made a secretive trip to Ukraine, pledging more military aid to help Ukraine beat back Russian forces. More from Jennifer Johnson in Washington. 
As Russian forces continue their relentless and deadly attacks in eastern Ukraine, top U.S. officials promise more than $700 million in military aid to try and permanently wound Russian President Vladimir Putin's war machine. We want to see Russia uh, weakened uh, to the degree that it can't uh, do the kinds of things that uh, it has done uh, in, in invading Ukraine. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and Secretary of State Antony Blinken held a secret meeting with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky in Kyiv Sunday, pledging more aid as the country continues to beat back Russian forces. We're seeing that when it comes to Russia's war aims, Russia is failing, Ukraine is succeeding. Russian forces have suffered heavy losses but are still on the attack. Over the weekend, six cruise missiles were launched into the Black Sea port city of Odessa. City officials say a strike on an apartment building killed at least eight people, including a mother and a three-month-old child. The husband and father saying, my world died, killed by a Russian missile. Russia's shelling took no break despite a requested ceasefire from the United Nations. Russian forces on the ground even tried to storm a steel plant, housing soldiers and civilians in Mariupol to crush the last bastion of resistance in that besieged city. I appeal to the world, this woman said. Please help us. We want to live. Since U.S. President Joe Biden took office, America has sent about $2 billion in military aid to Ukraine while rallying Western allies to give billions too. President Biden will ask Congress to allocate more funds and has now nominated a new ambassador to Ukraine, Bridget Brink, while the U.S. works to reopen its embassy in Kyiv. Canada is considering options to reopen its embassy in Kyiv, too. The West sending a clear message to the Kremlin that its support for Ukraine, both militarily and diplomatically, will not end. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. And Ukrainian refugees arriving in Canada have been facing an unexpected cost. Mandatory medical tests costing as much as $450 per person. As Madagahi reports, it's an expense many simply cannot afford at a time when their whole lives have been turned upside down. Forced to leave their father and husband behind, this young Ukrainian family has come to Canada seeking refuge from violence. It was unsafe and um, we cannot pretend it's normal, you know, and I wanted my kid to be in a safe place. But the first weeks of tranquility have been clouded with frustration because of an immediate expense they were not expecting. I'm surprised that I have to pay for a medical exam. This is quite a lot of money for, for refugees who came here without a job. The Canadian government has approved 56,000 temporary resident visas. On arrival, some of these Ukrainian newcomers are receiving instruction from the government requiring a medical examination performed in Canada at their own cost. Expecting an individual to land in Canada, uh, likely a single mother with young children or grandparents with grandchildren, um, and having to pay out this amount of money that is required for them to do so within the first 90 days after arrival uh, in Canada is, is, um, is, is a significant hardship. These medical tests appear to fall outside the range of MSP, which has been fast-tracked for Ukrainian newcomers on a provincial level. They can include imaging like chest x-rays and blood work. This is for my neighbor. Oh, thanks. It's so sweet. I think it's a food gastrotate. Christina Sivilop says her examination bill was more than $400, something she could not afford without generous community sponsors. A lot of Ukrainians will come here, and um, not everyone will have those donations like I do. To make it mandatory that she had to pay this $400 within 90 days meant she can't, couldn't eat or couldn't buy shoes. Um, be it she's got us helping her, so we're not going to let that happen. Those concerns now extending to the many other Ukrainians who may not have the same support. Emadagahi, Global News. Still ahead, stunning new art on the side of a BC ferry. The sailor-style paddle is really odd shape. The artist who turned the coastal heron into his own masterpiece. But first in sports, the Canucks cling to faint hope for the playoffs. Just dealing with a slow-moving vehicle southbound towards the south end of the Alex Fraser Bridge. But other than that, traffic is moving well both ways. 
Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. I spent a great deal of time washing and polishing my car. Oh, boy. Did you weekend. hear my eyes roll there? <laughs> and I made sure to text Sophie so that she was able to see my work. <laughs> and I'm regretting it a bit today because it rained quite badly up here in Burnaby. I'm actually pretty hard there. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, okay, so he didn't shame me enough into washing my car, but that's because, Christy, Mother Nature is going to do it for me. <laughs> that's right. On and off and on and off so far this April. You know, I feel like it's been a roller coaster ride over the last several weeks. We've had some nice days and then some really terrible days. And that's really the pattern that we've seen. Now, it is typical for this time of year to have, for us to have these huge swings in conditions. Uh, but what is different is that we are certainly well below seasonal. We've had these cold upper level lows across the region. Here's a quick look at the stats. In terms of precipitation, we're pretty on par, despite the fact it's been on and off. But we're near average in terms of precipitation. Snowfall near average as well. We didn't have any reported at the airport, but you'll remember we did have some snowfall. But the key that I wanted to show you is the temperature. So we're certainly well below seasonal for this time of year. And today was no different. Tomorrow will be no different. We're talking about a good three to four degrees below seasonal. And these are the temperature anomalies for Western Canada for the last 20 days. You can see that that's the case right across the prairie provinces and into our area. We've certainly been well below seasonal. And it's because of these cold upper level troughs. One more thing that those couple cold upper level troughs bring, thunderstorms. Yeah, we've had a good fair share of our thunderstorms today. The most of them were in the interior, although a, a few across the south coast area. And tomorrow we have a risk of thunderstorms again. So keep your eye on the sky. It'll be that type of day where you'll see some breaks of blue sky. You'll see some pockets of rain. Those pockets of rain may be intense at times and you even have a risk of thunderstorms. Southeastern corner of the province, I don't have a risk of thunderstorms for you, but uh, certainly rain on and off. But there you go, 10 degrees, showers, rain at times, a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow. Typically, we'd be up to about 14 degrees for this time of year. Now, I am expecting a bit of a warm-up, but we're going to be still slightly below seasonal for the next several days, at least some sunshine late Wednesday into our Thursday. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from the lower mainland, just captured yesterday. These are Mamadas clouds. So thank you to Martine for sharing these with us. Mamadas clouds are referring to these pouch-like clouds that actually protrude from the bottom of a cloud. It might be a thunderstorm, most often a thunderstorm, but it could be a pretty intense rain cloud as well. And the mama referring to sort of uh, mama, the Latin term uh, for either, you know, breast or udder. And you can see that here in terms of the shape. So very cool. Thank you to Martine for that. I think they look like the marshmallows on top of, you know, mashed sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving. Oh, you know I, yeah, I, I, we never yes. saw or something. I don't know. Marshmallows with uh, <laughs> with a dish like that. But yummy sounds yummy. That's where my head's going. Yeah. All right. The world's richest man is spending a big part of his fortune on Twitter. The company board has agreed to a $44 billion U.S. offer from Elon Musk to purchase the social media platform. Global's Kyle Benning breaks down the deal and what it means for the Twitter sphere. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. And now Elon Musk might own that town square outright. The 50-year-old, who is an advocate of legal free speech, launched the bid several weeks ago, already holding a 9% stake of the platform. And what he's looking to do is bring Twitter private and remove a lot of the what he would call censorship controls that the company has put on content. Brett Chang is the co-host of the Peak Daily podcast, which discusses Canadian and global business and tech news. He says Twitter has underperformed in the open market compared to Facebook and TikTok, meaning shareholders could jump at the $54.20 per share offer, which is 38% more than it was valued on April 1st. And so I think shareholders will likely accept Elon's deal and think that, you know, his record speaks for itself. He's been successful with Tesla and SpaceX, and they're hoping he can do the same for Twitter. According to Forbes, Musk has an estimated net worth of nearly $270 billion U.S., and taking the platform private would give him the ability to change Twitter's previous decisions around censorship, most notably removing Donald Trump's account following the January 6th insurrection. However, it is a balancing act. Daniel Chai, who lectures on business, law, social media, and technology at the University of Toronto, says research on social media algorithms have shown it tends to emphasize controversial content and misinformation. With that being the case, uh, if 
Musk's plan is to unlock the value of Twitter by increasing engagement. So the easiest way to do that is to make Twitter all the more controversial. While that might be best for garnering traction, Chai says it might not be best for the bottom line. But it doesn't mean advertisers, multinationals, want to be associated with Twitter. In fact, they might get really turned off. So we don't really know what his real game plan and his business plan is going to be. Twitter's board voted unanimously in favor of Musk buying the platform to make it private. Shareholders will hold a final vote on its sale, and the transition is expected to be completed later this year. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, it's certainly trending today, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting mm-hmm. to see what happens. All right, let's bring in uh, Squire Barnes, who has a Twitter account but rarely tweets. I said before, I really don't... Have, all the things I have to say, I say right here. Exactly. In this little moment. That's why um, people tune in. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I hope so. The uh, Canucks playoff chances, well, they're thinner than my waist. But they are still hoping for a miracle finish. If you give up hope, then, then you're... You're done, so you always have to believe that there's a, there's a chance. Well, those are words to live by. Tomorrow night, the Canucks play Seattle. They have to win. They have to hope Dallas loses in regulation to Vegas and Dallas doesn't get any more points. It's convoluted, but if any of those things happen, the dream is over. And later tonight, a striking design on the hull of the newest BC Ferry and the Salish artist who created it. Just dealing with a slow-moving vehicle southbound towards the south end of the Alex Fraser Bridge, but other than that, traffic is moving well both ways. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. I spent a great deal of time washing and polishing my car. Oh, boy. Did you hear my eyes roll there? (laughs) And I made sure to text Sophie so that she was able to see my work. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm regretting it a bit today because it rained quite badly up here in Burnaby. I mocked you pretty hard there. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> uh, okay, so he didn't shame me enough into washing my car. But that's because, Christy, Mother Nature is going to do it for me. <laughs> That's right. On and off and on and off so far this April. You know, I feel like it's been a roller coaster ride over the last several weeks. We've had some nice days and then some really terrible days. And that's really the pattern that we've seen. Now, it is typical for this time of year to have, for us to have these huge swings in conditions. Uh, but what is different is that we are certainly well below seasonal. We've had these cold upper level lows across the region. Here's a quick look at the stats. In terms of precipitation, we're pretty on par, despite the fact it's been on and off. But we're near average in terms of precipitation. Snowfall near average as well. We didn't have any reported at the airport, but you'll remember we did have some snowfall. But the key that I wanted to show you is the temperature. So we're certainly well below seasonal for this time of year. And today was no different. Tomorrow will be no different. We're talking about a good three to four degrees below seasonal. And these are the temperature anomalies for Western Canada for the last 20 days. You can see that that's the case right across the prairie provinces and into our area. We've certainly been well below seasonal. And it's because of these cold upper level troughs one more thing that those couple cold upper level troughs bring thunderstorms yeah we've had a good fair share of our thunderstorms today the most of them were in the interior although a, a few across the south coast area and tomorrow we have a risk of thunderstorms again so keep your eye on the sky it'll be that type of day where you'll see some breaks of blue sky you'll see some pockets of rain those pockets of rain may be intense at times and you even have a risk of thunderstorms southeastern corner of the province i don't have a risk of thunderstorms for you but uh, certainly rain on and off but there you go 10 degrees showers rain at times a risk of thunderstorms tomorrow typically we'd be up to about 14 degrees for this time of year now i am expecting a bit of a warm-up but we're going to be still slightly below seasonal for the next several days at least some sunshine late wednesday into our thursday tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from the lower mainland just captured yesterday these are mamatus clouds so thank you to martine for sharing these with us mamatus clouds are referring to these pouch-like clouds that actually protrude from the bottom of a cloud. It might be a thunderstorm, most often a thunderstorm, but it could be a pretty intense rain cloud as well. And the mata referring to sort of uh, mama, the Latin term uh, for either, you know, breast or udder. And you can see that here in terms of the shape. So very cool. Thank you to Martine for that. I think they look like the marshmallows on top of, you know, mashed sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving. Oh, you know I, yeah, I, 
I, we never yes. served or something. I don't know marshmallows with uh, <laughs> with a dish like that. But yummy sounds yummy. That's where my head's going. Yeah. All right. The world's richest man is spending a big part of his fortune on Twitter. The company board has agreed to a forty four billion dollar U.S. offer from Elon Musk to purchase the social media platform. Global's Kyle Benning breaks down the deal and what it means for the Twitter sphere. Twitter has become kind of the de facto town square. And now Elon Musk might own that town square outright. The 50-year-old, who is an advocate of legal free speech, launched the bid several weeks ago, already holding a 9% stake of the platform. And what he's looking to do is bring Twitter private and remove a lot of the what he would call censorship controls that the company has put on content. Brett Chang is the co-host of the Peak Daily podcast, which discusses Canadian and global business and tech news. He says Twitter has underperformed in the open market compared to Facebook and TikTok, meaning shareholders could jump at the $54.20 per share offer, which is 38% more than it was valued on April 1st. And so I think shareholders will likely accept Elon's deal and think that, you know, his record speaks for itself. He's been successful with Tesla and SpaceX, and they're hoping he can do the same for Twitter. According to Forbes, Musk has an estimated net worth of nearly $270 billion U.S., and taking the platform private would give him the ability to change Twitter's previous decisions around censorship, most notably removing Donald Trump's account following the January 6th insurrection. However, it is a balancing act. Daniel Chai, who lectures on business, law, social media, and technology at the University of Toronto, says research on social media algorithms have shown it tends to emphasize controversial content and misinformation. With that being the case, uh, if Musk's plan is to unlock the value of Twitter by increasing engagement, so the easiest way to do that is to make Twitter all the more controversial. While that might be best for garnering traction, Chai says it might not be best for the bottom line. But it doesn't mean advertisers, multinationals, want to be associated with Twitter. In fact, they might get really turned off. So we don't really know what his real game plan and his business plan is going to be. Twitter's board voted unanimously in favor of Musk buying the platform to make it private. Shareholders will hold a final vote on its sale, and the transition is expected to be completed later this year. Kyle Benning, Global News. Well, it's certainly trending today, that's for sure. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. All right, let's bring in uh, Squire Barnes, who has a Twitter account but rarely tweets. I said before, I really don't. All the things I have to say, I say right here. Exactly. In this little moment. That's why um, people tune in. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I hope so. The uh, Canucks playoff chances, well, they're thinner than my waist, but they are still hoping for a miracle finish. If you give up hope, then then you're you're done. So you always have to believe that there's a there's a chance. Well, those are words to live by. Tomorrow night, the Canucks play Seattle. They have to win. They have to hope Dallas loses in regulation to Vegas and Dallas doesn't get any more points. It's convoluted. But if any of those things happen, the dream is over. And later tonight, a striking design on the hull of the newest BC Ferry and the Salish artist who created it. Squire got some new ties, and, yeah. he, and, and he needed them. I did need them. The Vancouver Canucks the Vancouver no. Canucks do not need a tie. Wow, that's a segue. That was very good, actually. But, of course, there are no ties in the NHL. But this still was a good segue, nonetheless. <laughs> the uh, Vancouver Canucks still have a chance to make the playoffs. It requires, well, a lot of things to go their way. Probably too many. Tomorrow night they host Seattle, and they will wear that, the skate uniform. That'll be nice. Uh, sometimes, though, things do happen that you don't expect, like Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. Who expected that? Uh, and no one expected last night Vegas to give up a 4-2 lead late in the game against San Jose and lose to the Sharks in the shootout. That's a result the Canucks loved, and it kept them believing in what I would have to say is the nearly impossible. The 20-year-old rookie coming in for San Jose scores! The Sharks win it in a heartbreaking shootout loss for the Golden Knights. Uh, I was going, oh, they're a little ticked off in Vegas right now. <laughs> but I said, we're still alive. So every day you're still alive. There's only six days left in the season. So, wow, we're still in it. <laughs> yes, for the time being, Bruce Boudreau and the Vancouver Canucks are still in it, at least for the next 48 hours. But without a winning game plan against Seattle tomorrow, the Canucks will officially be eliminated. They need to beat Seattle and once again get helping hands from multiple teams. Dallas is the only team Vancouver can catch for a final playoff spot. 
They need to lose to the Golden Knights in regulation and then hope that the Stars lose their final two games again in regulation time. That happens, and we officially have a miracle at 800 Griffiths Way, providing, of course, that the Canucks went out. You know, still nothing really changes uh, from what we were saying in late December after the nice win streak we threw together when Bruce got here is that if we want to play in the playoffs, we have to win every game almost. So it's... Uh, it's no different right now in this time of year for us. That mindset and that belief started the moment Boudreaux was hired. And it occurred some 35,000 feet in the air when Francesco Aquilini was aboard the charter flight bringing Boudreaux to Vancouver. Five months later, here we are. And Francesco asked me on the plane, he said, do you think you can make the playoffs? And I said, absolutely. I mean, uh, I had done it before. I mean, it takes you know, quite a miracle in, in a lot of ways, but uh, uh, thought, you know, if we could get on a run and we could do it, we could do it again. And if you're curious where this manifestation comes from, well, it's deeply rooted inside the man who's made it the Canucks gospel. Listen, I'm the same guy that I believe uh, in things that, that happen. Like, I mean, I believe when I was 38 years old playing in Fort Wayne that I still had a chance at making the NHL. Like, I mean, and I always found that if you stop believing, then it never happens. But if you believe in it hard enough, that, uh, that maybe some dreams do come true. Today, the Tampa Bay Lightning stopped at the White House to show off the Stanley Cup and give Joe Biden a jersey. All went well, except when Biden called the NHL commissioner Gary Batman instead of Bettman, making everyone wonder if Bruce Wayne is just a ruse and actually Gary Bettman is the real Dark Knight. And the president inadvertently gave away the secret. Gary Batman. The Olympic decathlon champion will be at this year's Harry Jerome Classic at Swangard Stadium. Damian Warner has confirmed his participation in the annual event, which will be June 14th this year. It'll be part of his warm-up for the World Championships, which are down the road in Eugene, Oregon. That'll start on July 15th. We don't know just yet what event Damian Warner will run in at the Jerome. That hasn't been decided. Jose Barrios and the Blue Jays against Boston. This one in T.O. Bases loaded. We need a double play. That's a double play. Jays get out unscathed. Matt Chapman. That's a homer. And what does that mean? That means you, sir, win the use of this jacket for a short while. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will give it to you and help you with your hat as well. And then with the bases loaded and the score tied 2-2, Bo Bichette hits a grand slam. His first ever. And then Chapman gives him the jacket. And the Jays win it 6-2. I don't know. Does this not just look weird? Russell Wilson throwing passes at his first day of Broncos minicamp. No, he'll actually be in Vancouver tomorrow night for a speaking engagement. Then he'll have to go right back to Denver to continue preparing for his uh, first season away from Seattle. He recently bought a mansion in Denver, says, still says he wants to play into his 40s. We'll see. And, of course, the oh. NFL draft is this week. We'll see if the Seahawks yeah. do anything regarding quarterbacks. So, there you go. Weird seeing him in, mm-hmm. in Broncos gear, for sure. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Up next, unveiling the newest BC Ferry and the story behind the Salish artwork that adorns it. Right now, Jordan Armstrong is with us uh, with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan. Chris, BC's ombudsperson has waded into the controversy over ethics in Surrey City Council, criticizing some council members for their recent decisions. This comes as council is set to give final reading tonight to an amended bylaw which would freeze all complaints and investigations by the ethics commissioner until after the October 15th election. We have a reporter at City Hall, and we'll let you know what happens. Plus, an update on the demolition in Gastown. It looks like the teardown of the old Winters Hotel is going to take a bit longer than expected. These stories are more tonight on Global News at 11. Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. Well, sending a message through art on a ship-sized canvas, BC Ferries' new Salish Heron is preparing to enter service. We're getting our first look at the work of Penelica First Nation artist Maynard Johnny Jr. And Kylie Stanton spoke to him about the artwork and the work that went into it. Call it inspiration, a spark, an idea. It's that place where art begins. But Maynard Johnny Jr. calls it home. Like, I'm pretty proud to be a part of the Salish Renaissance in a sense that uh, back in the early 90s, we were starting to be recognized as a 
having our own design. He spent a lifetime learning the craft while carving out a niche of his own. I didn't change designs. I just used them in a different way, um, which allowed me to use more color, uh, turquoises and oranges and yellows. And it's what set him apart from 36 other candidates, all vying for an opportunity to showcase their creations on a grand scale. I think it's the largest my work has ever been shown. I feel pretty proud of how it turned out. The wings, tail and beak of Johnny Jr.'s Salish Heron now stretches the length of BC Ferry's newest vessel. What started out as a sketch on a piece of paper, just two by six inches in size, now replicated around the hull. I'm going to be like, I kind of think, just overwhelmed. The Salish Heron is the fourth Salish-class vessel to feature Indigenous art. What's expected to make an impression when it's scheduled to enter service later this spring? BC Ferries taking these steps is is a a great you know way for us to move forward, and hopefully you know everybody can heal from this, especially Indigenous people. The hope is it will send a message to the people of British Columbia, Canada, and the world that Indigenous people have been here since time immemorial. A conversation piece that will also call these waters home. It'll create the awareness, it'll create questions. Hopefully that'll raise more questions into learning more about the history of Indigenous people from this territory. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love the colors. And still, uh, lots of colors out there with with more of the, uh, uh, I was going to say apple blossoms, cherry blossoms, plum blossoms. <laughs> Christy, they're yeah. getting knocked off by the rain now, though. Yeah, at times, I mean, I've certainly seen some with still full uh, petals um, across the region. It gets really depends on the type of tree and, and where it's located. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, full colors in terms of the tulips are out, the daffodils are out. There's a lot of color out there, which is nice because we have uh, still a little bit more rain on the way for us tomorrow with a risk of thunderstorms. So keep your eye on the sky and keep your rain jacket handy. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Have a good night, everyone. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.